Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. All right, and welcome back to Micromobility. Uh, Horace, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm great. Um, Excellent. And, uh, uh, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing. I'm doing really well. And we have with us Boyd Cohen from uh, IMOP. How are you doing today, Boyd? I'm great. Nice to uh, catch up with you guys. Excellent. Excellent. Well, look, uh, we Horace. I know you want to uh, want to run through all of the exciting developments that we have coming through from Micromobility in our upcoming conference. We have uh, we have the, about eleven days as we're recording this. About eleven days to go. We have. A great uh, lineup of speakers, exhibitors, and we have uh, we're almost at uh, capacity. We're 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 trying to. Uh, I think we're trying to manage for 500 people, and uh, we're almost there. So I think with 11 days to go, we're definitely going to go over over that. So um, really looking forward to it. I, I'm just so amazed that we have some such a good response. Um, many folks who are listeners are attending and. Uh, we, we still have that code available with uh, a, a discount with Oliver and Horace. So you use that discount code to like, get, uh, get 25% off. And uh, we've, I've seen quite a few of those go through. So I'm assuming there are people listening who are going to be there. So really excited about that. And Oliver will be there. And uh, if you listen to my other podcast, uh, Judd, my co uh, co host there as well. He'll be there as well, and uh, and so lots and lots of people from micromobility world, and and many many investors, uh, consultants, vendors, you name it, just a huge variety of folks. And new toys as well. There's going to be a lot of uh, vehicle demonstrations and um, different form factors and everything like that. Thank you, Boyd, so much for uh, for making the time to come on. Um, I'm aware Horace is kind of uh, coming into this blind, but actually that works really well for for the audience. Um, to, to give a little bit of background, I I know uh, a couple of, of the team that work with Boyd, and um, Boyd and I have been discussing this uh, back and forth, and I'm I'm incredibly excited about the, the concept of what they're trying to trying to do. So I thought Boyd, maybe what we could do is if you just start off and give the sort of the context, introduce yourself, and then yeah, cool. Again, thanks for having me. Uh, I know there you have a lot of fans around the world, including one of our a new VC investors uh, is uh, follows you closely online and on the podcast. So uh, uh, I'm Boyd Cohen. I'm from the States originally, uh, the U.S., that is. Uh, I haven't lived there in almost 20 years, so uh, I got my Ph.D. in entrepreneurship. This is my third smart city software company. I've done a lot of work in uh, smart cities and smart mobility over the last 10 to 12 years. Um we came to IAMOB, uh, or the Internet of Mobility, uh, first through starting to have a growing appreciation for what blockchain could do in smart cities and wanting to get our hands dirty doing something real. So until I started IAMOB, I was back in mode of being more on the academic and consulting side. I was dean of research at a business school in Barcelona. And I was collaborating with a VC out of the UK called Outlier Ventures, and Jamie Burke, their founder, uh, really compelled me to start a project. Our first concept around mobility was actually looking at the 
uh, cooperative taxi movement and noticing how it was so fragmented and that even in some cities you have multiple cooperative taxi companies all trying to build their own tech stack and all trying to compete with the big entrenched players. And we said, this doesn't make sense. There's got to be a way we can help empower them to compete and collaborate in a more uh, collective way, both locally and globally, leveraging blockchain. And so our initial concept was called Coopify. And long story, as is the case of most startups, we evolved our thinking as we got more and more into the market and started understanding what was actually truly possible. And we kind of kind of hit on us together, both Joseph and I, that the real the real play with blockchain from our perspective in the mobility and city space was to create a decentralized open mobility marketplace. So I thought maybe what would be useful is for, for, for our listeners, when you when you talk about a decentralized uh, marketplace for mobility in a city, talk through what does that practically mean? Like what 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 is the um, what does a city that's empowered by IMOB actually look like? What we all know and all your listeners know very well is that there's a massive amount of fragmentation of the mobility marketplace. And it's, it's, it's kind of going through this very interesting phase where you have growing fragmentation and then you have a few dominant oligopolies slash monopoly type players. And they have very different business models, but they're all trying to find some way to offer some kind of seamless access to a suite of mobility services, sometimes public and private, sometimes just private. Um, and that's the space we're going after. But we're going after it with a decentralized approach. And a decentralized approach basically means uh, um, there's two big things that differentiate a decentralized from a centralized approach. So one is that it's permissionless. That is to say that any legal mobility service can connect to IMOP. We're called IMOB because we see ourselves as a Web 3.0 Internet of Mobility layer for urban mobility around the world, urban and regional mobility. That means any legal mobility service provider, tiny, small, big, public, private, doesn't matter, can plug into IMOB. And as soon as they've plugged in, they are accessible to any user using any application connected to our protocol. That means that IMOB itself doesn't own the user. We don't own a single application that users have to use to access all these services. And IMOB doesn't own any mobility services. We don't want to. What we want to do is enable this marketplace, this fragmented marketplace, to compete and collaborate so that, like, on an extreme level, you could actually have an independent taxi driver who has a license to operate a taxi but does not belong to any fleet at all. They can plug into IMOB and compete directly with Uber or any other uh, ride-hailing or taxi service through IMOB. And what do I mean by that is obviously they're not trying to scale. They're not trying to own a market. They're not try- what they want is to optimize the use of their vehicle. They want to increase their fares. Well, what IMOB can enable them to do as an independent taxi operator, this explains how permissionless really can be powerful – is that this taxi driver doesn't have to enter negotiations with anyone. They can, as an independent licensed operator, connect to IMOB, and when their vehicle is the closest to a user where a taxi or ride-hailing service is most valuable, the user will see their vehicle just as easily as they would see an Uber vehicle or a taxi from a fleet of a 1,000. So it, it democratizes access to the mobility marketplace and enables – 
this fragmentation to continue to flourish, but in a way that's not um, frustrating for end users or for small mobility service providers, in a way that allows seamless access so that any user can do the following four things with any app connected to IMOP. They can discover any mobility service around them. That's number one. Uh-huh. Number two, they can gain multimodal routing of any mobility service in uh, connected IMOP. This could be car sharing to scooter. It could be scooter to train. It, it doesn't matter. Any combination that might make sense for a user can be ge- – we have multimodal routing algorithms that can generate those combinations that optimize the journey for the end user with any mobility service connected IMOP. So that's number two. Number three, we, we regroup it together, which is booking and onboarding of new services. So if a user needs to book a taxi or book a car share that they want to take for a few hours or whatever, um, or they need to onboard a new service, all these things they can do through the app itself. And number four, seamless payment. So the end user can actually use uh, IOMOB-connected application and do all four of those things. If, if I may, uh, you've given us a very a very thorough introduction, but I think many people are, are not, uh, you know, in this space, if you will, they're not, they're not, uh, you know, uh, operators or, 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 or technology oriented people regarding this, this, uh, this, this, uh, interface to, uh, between systems that you're working on. So how would you explain it in a more kind of in a simple way that that an, a layperson would understand the benefit of of your approach? Yeah, sure. That's a good question, and I get it a lot. Uh, sometimes from lay people, and sometimes from investors and other people who just want to understand well what's the pitch to an end user. And I always start this way with end users. I say, how many current apps do you have on your phone to deal with mobility? Um, and they start counting the taxi apps, the private ride hailing apps, the scooter apps, the public transit, different public transit and train apps they have. And, you know, it's somewhere between five and 12 for the city you live in, depending on the size of your city and how much you use different mobility services. And then some people, myself included, when we travel, we also look for local mobility apps and download those too. There's all kinds of frustrations, including people realizing that the best outcome is a multimodal outcome, but they don't have a clean, easy mechanism to actually connect two types of services together. So they have to like open one taxi app, discover that there's none around. So they open a ride-hailing app to find one, and they order it. And then they need to figure out their next part of their journey, and they open a different app for that. And so I say, you know, there's a better way. What? How would you feel if every legal mobility service in your city was connected to one platform, and you as an end user could use one app and have access to any of the services if you want a taxi, find out which taxi is closest, regardless of which company is providing it. Um, maybe discover that your best way to go from A to B is a multimodal route, which you've never yeah. done before. Um, maybe, maybe what you discover is there's a brand new electric scooter service you've never heard of, but happens to have a scooter like a half a block from where you are, and it's your best service, but you would have never discovered them. And even if you had, you would have to onboard them and, and, and download a new app and everything else. Imagine a seamless experience where every mobility uh, service provider, public and private, is available to you at your fingertips in one app, and your best travel 
uh, optimized travel journeys are done for you so we can actually – so this service will allow you to discover, do multimodal routing, booking, and payment of any mobility service in your in where you live. And as IMOB expands and gets adopted in other cities around the world, that same experience can travel with you wherever you go. We believe what IMOB enables is actually a core value proposition that the transit authorities are trying to solve, which is how do we resolve first mile, last mile in a way that doesn't um, distract or re- re- result in a reduced amount of optimization or utilization of public transit that results in increased access to mobility services for more of our population and our visitors. And our proposal, our project is based on this very holistic, open approach to mobility and very much embracing the, the role of public transit. So we're working with the local public transit authorities. We're working with other uh, public or concessioned public operators like the Renfe example, and there's many others. Uh, we're close to closing a deal with a major West Coast city, and that agreement is for a pilot with the public transit authority. In fact, our client is the transit authority. Um, same with a few other cities in, in the APAC region. So we're going with a, a pro-city, pro-public transit approach, mm-hmm. but also pro-private, uh, MSP, independent uh, mobility services. We're going with this very open, permissionless model that any legal operator should be ex- have access to any uh, mobility user. You know, one of the interesting things about this world of micromobility is that just a year ago, we would have been thinking about, or, you know, as you mentioned, Uber and others who have, have been assuming that you have to have an integrated approach and that you have to have under one roof software developers, hardware engineers, um, operating uh, an operating company in terms of uh, dealing with uh, cities, dealing with uh, balancing, dealing with charging dealing with uh, the, the uh, customer acquisition and customer support, that all of these things related to micromobility had to be done in an integrated fashion. And that was only, again, about a year or two ago when you looked at companies like the early pioneers in bike sharing in, in China, Ofo and Mobike. You look at uh, the uh, early uh, municipal bike sharing systems like Motivate, which did so in New York with uh, with dock-based systems. A lot of this was was an integrated approach. And I think what we're hearing increasingly is how companies are specializing. Companies are developing uh, either technology purely on the software side, purely on the hardware side. They're developing uh, algorithm-based solutions for various components like balancing and and charging. And I I know entrepreneurs looking at at targeting harvesting or, or, or energy management, also known as as uh, the charger network, and and so they're really trying trying to fun, uh, you know specialize on function. I think you today we're talking about the the sort of the underlying rails through which a lot of this communication needs to happen between modules. So what I want to talk about is one of our sponsors, which is Joyride. And Joyride actually is enabling this modular nature of micromobility. There there are countless ways of of you know uh, of optimization of micromobility, and one of them is is let's say you are an operator or you wish to be an operator, and you have fleets that you want to deploy in the particular area. So you probably know what it takes to make it happen in your region, in your neighborhood, in your city. 
Um, and you want to, you know how to do it efficiently, you know who to talk to, you know how to get people to do the work and so on. So you've done your research, you've read the blogs and articles, you've downloaded the reports, you've listened, listened to this podcast. Um, you've, you, you know, the, the metrics from venture companies, uh, venture funded companies, sorry, that are out there are um, astonishing. You know, we have funds being raised, hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, and you wonder how things would look if they were applied in your market. Well, Joyride provides you the custom white-labeled mobile apps and scalable backend that allows everyone from a small local operator to transit agencies to launch their own micromobility fleet within weeks, not months, weeks. Plus, they have partnerships with all the major manufacturers, so you're guaranteed to have the highest quality hardware when you launch your own bikes or scooters. Here's an example of one of Joyride's customers has accomplished. The operator launched with a fleet of 200 electric scooters. Just 200. You don't need 200,000. 200. And within two months, they were making six figures from the rides. And that's a revenue rate, you know, six figures, hundreds of thousands, in other words. All the while competing in a city that already had some of the largest scooter share companies operating. This doesn't even include the additional revenue for their generating through their Joyride advertising platform that allows you to connect your customers with retail partners around the city. So, you know, you tie advertising together, you tie retail, you tie operations together. Maybe you didn't think you could compete in the micromobility space before. Maybe you thought the market was already controlled by a few giants. Well, Joyride levels the playing field for the operator, allowing anyone to succeed with their fleet. Whether you're an independent operator with a desire to launch locally or a transit agency looking to solve the first and last mile for your customers, Joyride helps you find a mobility share solution that works there are thousands and thousands of unserved mark, markets in the world. If you think about the mega cities, you know, they may be in the dozens, but there are many, many communities, even within mega cities, that are not going to be addressed. So overall, thousands of opportunities. So start your own scooter or bike share system today. See more at www.joyride.city. That's joyride.city. It's time to join the great micromobility movement. So if you mention Micromobility Podcast, you will receive your first month for free. So thanks again to Joyride for supporting 5x5 and Micromobility. So uh, do you think this is logical that we're seeing a, a modularization, if you will, of, the, of this entire space? And that's where, where a lot of the focus and platforms is going to be in the, next, uh, in the next year. I do. I think, I think the vertically integrated MSP, Mobility Service Provider model, is not going to work. I think as you, you, as you preluded to that, you talked about how, you know, until a year ago, people thought these, uh, aggregation plays had to own the soft, had to build their own proprietary software, own all the assets of, of a range of mobility services, own the user and the end user, um, acquisition model and the payment system. And I don't know. I, I mean, you look at Uber as a great, as the best example of a company that has really scaled globally, and you know, is a is a a brand almost anywhere in the world people have heard of, even if it's not available in their city or country. And you know, they're spilling cash. Um, I think that model is just super hard to scale globally and for it to function right. And I think it's hard to be great at everything, and the hmm. money required to invest in it and and to maintain it and keep it at the best in everything is so hard. I think, you know, IAMOB's vision is that 
we are just a layer. We're like a new internet layer, the Web 3.0 mm-hmm, internet mm-hmm. layer for mobility, where any mobility service can plug and play. We consider ourselves future-proof because, you know, you look at a lot of these, like OFO and a lot of these other MSPs that got to multi-billion dollar valuations and have disappeared. It's hard to build an asset-dependent business scale globally with cultural differences, with regulatory differences that change all the time. I mentioned what's happening in Barcelona right now with Uber and and Cabify, and they may actually may not have a license to operate in Barcelona. And, you know, these things are happening all around the world. And if your business is, is dependent on asset plus all these other parts of the ecosystem you have to own and build and maintain and be world best at, it's really hard. I believe that the future is not going to be driven in mobility by oligopolies. I believe we're going to have we're going to have a lot of fragmentation in the market and it's going to be seamlessly interconnected. And, you know, the Joyride is a good example. I mean, we could work with Joyride. We could work with them so that they actually had a mechanism for any MSP of a bike share or a scooter share that plugs into Joyride could be immediately connected to IMR. Those services that go live with them are immediately accessible. Everyone, you know, you're going to have locally deep expert companies doing unique types of, you know, water taxis or, you know, new types of mobility services that maybe make sense in some cities and in others don't because they're hilly, because of the existing transit network, because of whatever. Um, so I, I, I do believe we'll have some regional and some global players. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think the future is going to be like five aggregated, integrated MSPs that own the mobility marketplace. And I don't think the cities are going to let that happen. And besides the example I already talked about in Barcelona with, um, cap with the private right hailing services, uh, the Barcelona, like many other cities around the world, Singapore are now starting to regulate these micromobility services about where they can park and how many vehicles are they actually allowed to operate in the city. Mm-hmm. In Barcelona, mm-hmm. they only have 2000, but we spoke mm-hmm. to a scooter company that launched in Barcelona. They're from the States and they're only allowed to have 2000. And I said, what's your estimate on the potential demand in Barcelona between tourists and residents? And he said, he thought they could get, it could support a hundred thousand in the city. Oh, so yeah. how can you go with a monopoly approach to owning everything in the mobility ecosystem in a city when you're not even legally allowed to own enough vehicles in the city to actually provide a ubiquitous, seamless experience for users? It's impossible. It's not financially possible, and it's actually frequently not even regulatory possible. So the future has to be some way of allowing multiple players to compete. Yeah, when I looked at the numbers, I mean, so here's a, just a ballpark figure. Uh, I, this I did a couple of years ago. There are some studies on how many vehicles are needed for a given population size. Um, and the, the figures re- range 2 to 4%. Uh, this was looking at the numbers for bike sharing uh in using dock systems so 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 free float you net, you think you tend to go on a, on, a, on a high side because you you want to have more availability and and there might not be the concentration right so so okay so let's say two to four but let's sort of bias towards the high end if you do the, look at the global urban population that's going to be five billion people and then if you ask yourself well how do you provision how many bikes are, are or, or vehicles are going to be necessary 
for uh, for a population of five billion, and and that's just urban. Um, there'll be varieties, of, obviously, from very short range to sort of uh, very long range, but all of them is essentially shared, and all of them. Uh, microsized because that that is the only one that makes sense, um, and so you, you you've got you you're looking at uh, potentially tens if not hundreds of millions of vehicles. Now, uh, I actually I think I remember the three hundred million dollar uh, three hundred million figure in my in my mind right now is sort of the the addressable market of vehicles out there. Now, if you if you think about that and ask, okay, so that's the vehicle size, uh, fleet size, and then how how many territories do you have to cover? How do you deal with with uh, operations at that scale? Well, the world has figured this out long ago, and we talked about about this in the franchising model. You know, how do you distribute retail? How do you distribute? Uh, everything from from gas stations to to um, uh, shops to to you know the, the, the world has has worked on this for a long time, and it has to be distributed. It has to be broken down into sub problems to be solved locally, um, and and yet there has to be a platform on top of it all. And this is why. It, it, it sort of in, in the transportation space, unlike let's say Amazon. So, so you, you look at an online retail, or you look at uh, search, or you look at the Google and the usual uh, social media suspects, and so on. Those tend to scale globally, and you you have a centralized uh, approach to the problem. But there are not all industries go that way, and in particular, you have to look at the issues uh, that differ on, at, at, on the buyer side. What are the access? access questions accessibility is important and and that's why even the internet is divided into an isp that that deals at it on a local basis and and that has to be very fragmented and very very uh, uh, widely distributed um and and so this is where the question for transportation lies do you what is distributed and what is central what is the platform and what is what is the uh the local operator that deals with the issue at the, at, with the customer, and, uh, you know, directly. What's the, the touch point for the customer? And I think this is why I, it makes sense to me that the emergence of a platform at a certain level within the stack would make sense, right? And, and, and I think the question is, what is that platform for for, for transportation? Uh, and, and uh, you know, of course, by transportation, I mean micro-transportation where, where we, we, you know, macro has has kind of run its course, um, although it needs to be integrated as well. I mean, we're going to have some some need to interface with uh, with this in a multimodal way. So the thing that got me excited originally about um, IOMOB is one of the things that um, I could see at Uber that was a competitive threat when we were there was what exactly what you're talking about, Boyd, which is all of the, you know, all of our competitors, for example, decided to get together and they would pull all of their supply. And then, uh, you know, like if, if Lyft and Cabify and all of the taxis got together and said, we are going to pull all of our supply and literally be able to settle payments between each other. Um, and anybody who had a ride anywhere in the city um, that was demanded of them would be able to be dispatched out to anybody else. Um, would be a very significant threat to us. But it was something that sort of like, you know, Uber could build a, a network of cars 
that would be able to compete with that. And relatively speaking, you know, as long as you're within two to three or four or five minutes of, 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 of you know, the competing service, it probably wasn't going to be that material in terms of whether or not people would want to shift across to a sort of like pooled supply version or something that could be built privately. The thing that is interesting to me is like when you get into the world of micromobility, as you say, a scooter operator only has 200 scooters on the road. And someone who like, if you're walking down the street, I'm not going to go and necessarily, you know, I might see a lime or I might see, you know, I might open the bird app and say, oh, I'm going to have to walk 500 meters down the road to get a bird. I don't really care. I'm not going to do that. I just want the thing that's right in front of me. I want the most convenient option. And at the moment, the way that this has been built out is you have to open the Lime app to, to, to access a Lime scooter or a Bird app to access a Bird scooter. And I can see that there's going to be, especially as we shift into a more highly regulated, where cities have a lot more political power to be able to regulate their transport, um, and micromobility is a really key driver of this, you want to have something that's completely interoperable. You want to have the ability to walk up to a Lime scooter or a Bird scooter. Yes, yeah, you don't care who the scooter operator is. You just want to open it, use it, and then... Um, and then have that kind of all be seamlessly functioning um, so that the city just works a lot more efficiently. And I can see as well that from a political perspective, like cities are going to, they, they have that ability um, to really push and regulate in that way. The one thing that I want to push back on, and this is the part that we had a discussion about is Uber's obviously building this. Like Uber has said, we want to be the, the Amazon for transport. And at the moment, they obviously started with the ride sharing business, which is, you know, Yes, it's losing a bit of money, but in a lot of markets, it's you know it, it can be profitable. Um, and then they're saying, okay, and we'll expand out from that. And so we've got the kind of Keystone service that's you know functional, works all the time. But then we can add, for example, multimodal routing for um, for for uh, you know transit for transit or we know that we can go and just aggregate all of the different suppliers for Lime and Bird and all these other scooter players and have them on our platform. And so Uber becomes the place that you go to. Um, and they've got millions of users. And, and whereas you guys are starting out with like, hey, we're going to build the platform and we think that's interesting, but we don't have the users necessarily kind of um, already up front. So I'm curious from your perspective, like how do you see getting that mass adoption to being able to use that platform when you're competing against a centralized player that's well-funded like Uber, or even if we're going to take it and extend it a little bit out, someone like Google Maps coming along and saying, yeah, we're going to work with all of the um, the agencies around the world and allow facilitation of payments and um, into into transit systems, for example. I'll, I'll be honest with you. This was not our initial strategy. This has been an emergent strategy that you know, I think smart startups listen to the marketplace and they react to it. And so what the market has been telling IMOB uh, in the last year is that we've got something really powerful. Transit authorities love what we're building and, and understand that aggregation is coming. And they hate in many cases, at least I won't say this is true universally in the U.S., but in Asia and in Europe, we're finding a lot of resistance to the um, – vertically integrated MSP, Uber, Lyft, Grab model, where they are going to own the mobility marketplace because there's a lot of fear of surge pricing, of uh, predatory pricing, of things that actually negatively influence inclusive access to mobility services. Um, so there, the, the trend, and, and also the role of public transit in the ecosystem is sometimes undervalued uh, in some of these other models. So we're finding good support from them. But the other thing, this is the emerging thing that's happened that we didn't actually think think about that strategically initially. We're finding amazing interest from 
massive players. So we've already mentioned Renfe. They have currently 17 million annual customers. Renfe has decided to use IMOB's technology and our own white-labeled app to create a new and Horace mentioned this earlier when he mentioned how, um, you know, why is it that today, if you're going to take a plane, you need to figure out how to get to the airport? Why is it if you're using a train, you need to figure out how to get to the train station? Renfe's figured that out, and they want to go after this marketplace and are now allow door-to-door, with or without Renfe, by the way. They want a fully open mobility marketplace uh, where they uh, engage with their end users to offer this service, even when end users choose not to use Renfe or even they choose to use a competitor of Renfe. We have another project in Asia with an airline. We have an LOI that I can't name yet that brings in 30 million customers to their city every year, and they want to do something similar with IMOB's technology. So, so your customer here is like the way that I think about it conceptually is that your customer here is the city. Um, or the city city authorities, um, and and what you're doing is you're effectively saying to them, you want to build these systems that give you the that give you a little bit more power to regulate because you're going to obviously those cities would be the ones that would tell you what's permissioned and permissionless from a as you say a legal service, right? So yeah, I, I, as a general rule, we're going through the cities and working with them, and I actually you bring that up. I mentioned this to. Um, when we talked offline, um, this that, that one of our cities that we're negotiating with, the city asked us if we were to require that every ride-hailing service connected to the IMOB protocol, could we then enforce rules like how many different licensed taxis and private ride-hailing vehicles are allowed to circulate at different times of the day throughout the week? like automatically through the system, and we said yes. And they said, if we wanted to in real time for any reason, say a hurricane, a tornado, uh, an earthquake, a power outage, uh, a terrorist attack, you name it, a strike affects the mobility system or the needs of people in an immediate way to get out of danger or whatever that is, could we instantaneously, with a click of a button, essentially change that from, say, 2,000 vehicles allowed to circulate to 8,000? And the, the, the 2 to 8,000 is either based on pre-authorized vehicles that have already gone through some certification process, whatever that is. And we said yes. So that's an example where we think the market will go in a good reason why cities want to work with us, because it enables them to think through future solutions in ways they've never been able to do before that allows them to increase their ability to control the ecosystem, but not always in a way that's so bad for the private sector. Like when you have uh, low demand for a public transit service at like nighttime, like a, a bus that has a 60 person capacity and it's uh, only got one person that's planning on using it to go to some rural area. So they have to provide some minimal level of service through the legal or regulatory framework in real time or through a more persistent script. So like a, a pre-existing contract in IMOB say that under these certain conditions, we as a public transit authority authorize any company that meets X, Y, and Z criteria to uh, bid for it in, in real time and offer a private solution to this uh this citizen's need in a way that we will subsidize the cost for the end user so it's the same as if they took public transit 
but we'll save ourselves thousands on the driver and the vehicle and everything else going to places it doesn't need to go to. So these are just like a couple examples of how powerful uh, our technology could be for public transit authorities. Sure, sure, and I get that. I think I think that, like, <laughs> as someone who's who used to be in operations, this is slightly terrifying because the 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 amount of um, the disruption to to the business around, like, well, effectively, you're sitting there and the city has a huge amount of power. And I've, you know, we've worked with city regulators before, and like, you know, for the enlightened ones, absolutely that would work. But for there's a lot of corruption in that system as well. I mean, that was sort of the reason that uh, Uber really struggled in the beginning was because the the, the taxi markets were so corrupt. Um, and and in actual fact, being able to operate outside of us outside of what was quote unquote regulated enabled the emu- the emergence of, play, of of companies like Uber. And so the the one thing that I can see as being um, slightly worrying around a system like this is that it ends up really limiting innovation. So there'll be this interesting kind of creative back and forth um, as as new 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 uh, services emerge. Oftentimes the city doesn't know what it needs until it emerges, and then everybody sort of says, "Oh, for example." All of these um, rogue launches that Bird and Lime did were illegal, but it proves out the use case that actually scooters are a really good thing, and a lot of people in the cities want them. The cities never would have approved that and and put it on time. Where I'm trying to go is, while I agree with you that there are risks, I think there's two things. I think increasingly cities are going with this idea of sandboxes where we will allow experiments in a neighborhood or in certain areas uh, with new mobility services, and then we'll see what happens before we allow it to be uh, rolled out citywide. And I actually think that's smart. And, and, and a second thing on that, IMOB can enable that. We call it appless connectivity. So you could be a startup. Let's say you have an idea. I think that people would be interested in shared skateboards. All right, I'm going to try it in one neighborhood. What do you think about how do you actually try this minimum viable product in one neighborhood in the Web 2.0 world? You probably spend the money to build your own app. You do some kind of local marketing in different areas and try to get people to download it and know about its availability. You get the spaces to park them and insert the GPS to track them. You build your software to do tracking and payment systems, and and then you tr- you check what happens. But that's so dumb at a neighborhood level. It's like such a dumb way to try to t- – you can't even really do that. It doesn't financially make sense to do it. With IMOB, you can say, you know what, and this goes to, I think it was, I don't remember if it was Oliver's point or uh, Horace's point about um, the, the the fragmentation of the, like, that we got to break down the ecosystem. Not everyone has to do everything. IMOB can offer the core software uh, tools that allows a, a startup to experiment. They can plug their devices into IMOB without having any of their own app, any of their own software, they can, with a smart contract, establish what their fees are for different types of use, and the users through an IMOB-powered app could actually discover them. If that skateboard is actually near to this end user and that skateboard is a, a potentially viable uh, mobility device for the journey they want to take, they will they will view it. And if they want to use it, they will have access to sign up for and pay for it right through the same IMOB app. So I don't agree that IMOB would be a killer of innovation. In fact, I actually am very passionate about how IMOB empowers innovation. Yeah. And st- no, look, and I totally buy that. I mean, you're, to your point, I, I can see how on the on the flip side of that, they would, you know, for a progressive city, it would be enabling for them to be able to trial and, 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 and see new things. Lots to talk about here as far as 
mobility as a service and platform game. I think I think what we need to do is 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 uh, is really decide whether you know at what time even this begins to consolidate uh, or or fragment as as the case may be. Um, but yeah, no, it's great it's great insight there. I mean, th- this is really where. I think great minds need to focus uh, on, on besides operations. Uh, obviously, we still need to all, do all the basics. We need to really think about how this evolves as a as a as a as a value chain, if you will. Um, but yeah, th- that's fantastic. Awesome, excellent. All right, hey Boyd. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, and um, it's been excellent to get your your thoughts. How do people find out uh, more about you uh, online if they if they came to go find this? Yeah, thank you very much to Oliver and Horace. It's been a pleasure to interact with you guys. Very smart uh, people in the mobility space with some really good questions and a fun conversation. Uh, we can be reached at iomob.net. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye bye. Good day.